Greetings and welcome to A Wounded Head Now Sacred, the podcast ministry of Colton Lutheran Parish. Colton Lutheran Parish is First Lutheran in Colton and St. Jacob's just west and a little north of Colton, South Dakota. I am Pastor Herb Wounded Head III, and today I'll be talking about the assigned gospel text for the third Sunday of Easter, which is the 24th chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 13. And sometimes this is called the way to Emmaus or the road to Emmaus. It is, uh, uh, there's a lot going on in this text that, you know, we could spend time on. It's just a beautiful story that was written um, about what had happened on Easter day. So it's important to still remember that we are on Easter day in this text, in the Gospel of Luke. And so there are two disciples that are walking west away from Jerusalem on their way to the little village of Emmaus, which the Gospel tells us is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're they're talking to each other about the things that had happened. And while they're walking along and talking, all of a sudden Jesus comes up and and they don't recognize him for whatever reason. And, And I think Jesus... Uh, plays with the disciples a little bit and begins to um, sort of push himself into the conversation, you know, like, so what are you two talking about while you're walking along the road? Okay. I mean, in our day and age, I mean, that's, that's kind of an unconventional thing, right? When somebody comes in, two people are having a conversation, a third person comes in and goes, Hey, what you guys talking about? Just, feels sometimes, I mean, depending on who you are, right? Some people love it and want to include more people into their conversations. And some people just don't like it at all. Nevertheless, Jesus does it. And he says, so what are you talking about? And so then all of a sudden they just stand still and they are sad. The gospel tells us. And then one of them sort of kind of talks back, you know, almost in a a deriding type of way and says, "Are are you the only one? And Jerusalem doesn't know what has happened. And then Jesus has not necessarily a deriding um, reply, but he says, you know, what things? You know, tell me, right? I mean, he's Jesus. He knows very well what has gone on. And so he's, uh, you know, I don't know if he's being playful or if he's just kind of, you know, remaining hidden sometimes as as like uh, just sort of messing with them a little bit. Whatever the case they begin to talk and they begin to tell the story. They tell the story about how Jesus well, was a prophet in, in deed and word before God and all the people. And then he was uh, handed over to be crucified. And that's the end of the story, right? Remember, it's Easter day. And they said they had been condemned to death and crucified him. And so we had hoped it says in verse 21 that he was the one to redeem Israel. It's just kind of a really just sad statement, right? Just almost like they had broken dreams or their dashed hopes right in that, that one single solitary sentence. But they don't stop there. Okay, so they, they continue to go on. I mean, but you can feel the pain. Right, but they they go on and they say, you know, some women of our group even told us something pretty amazing. They are at the tomb. They didn't find his body. They came back and told us they had seen angels who said that he was alive. 
And there were even more who went to the tomb and found it that way, and they didn't, they didn't see him. So that's where they are, right? In this, this story on the road to Emmaus. And then Jesus breaks in. And he says, ah, a slow of heart. He even calls him foolish. To not believe or to believe all the prophets have declared. And, and then he goes on to say, wasn't it necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into glory? And then he begins to tell them that all of this, all the scriptures, up until this point, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he told them about himself. He said, this is, this is really what it is all about, but they still don't, they still don't recognize him, right? And he tells them all about the Bible and things like that. And then they get to the village where they're going, assume Emmaus, and Jesus is going to go on. But then they, they turn and they say, well, stay with us for a little bit because it's evening and, you know, day's almost over. So Jesus goes in. And then when they're at the table, they have sort of this communion Holy Communion, this sometimes called the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, right? It's the last meal that Jesus shares with his disciples. And then there's this liturgical sort of element in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. And then you can sort of hear the words sort of echoing in, in the back of your mind, right? Do this for the remembrance of me, right? And then their eyes were open, and then they recognize him, and then he's gone. Jesus vanished from their sight. And then they say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts on fire, right? Burning within us while he was talking to us on the road. And so, that same hour, it says, you know, as soon as that happened, they get up, they go back seven miles to Jerusalem and they find the other disciples and their companions. And they said, we've just seen, you know, the disciples are saying the Lord is risen, right? And then they say, yeah, we know. And this is what happened. And that's how our gospel text ends, leaves us for today. So I think these, this story has, has a lot to teach us. There's a lot going on in there. And Jesus offers so many blessings that um, they're just innumerable, right? I mean, they're, they're hard to describe. And the one thing I want to go back to is when... The disciples are sharing the story. We assume Cleopas is the one talking and says, but we had hope that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. It would appear here, I think, that in this retelling of the story that we have these dashed hopes or they're on the road of, of broken dreams and it's almost like Jesus, in this retelling of the story by the disciples, that they, they're disappointed by him, by what happened in all of this. That we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Now, what does that mean, right? I mean, it could be a lot of things. And as far as we know, the, the hopes might have been a, a return to the Davidic kingdom. It might be to make uh, the nation of Israel number one again in their eyes, right? Just a, a political type of um, kingdom type of thing. But the distance in their memory kind of makes it seem like, you know, th this was the best thing in the world, but it really wasn't all that great. If we read back in the old Testament, it, you know, it was full of corruption and uh, enslavement. There was infighting in the Royal family. There's a lot of intrigue. And, and the only thing David really did that, that made him the, the, one of the best Kings ever is that he was faithful to the one true God that he restores worship and he, starts to say that this is, um, and, and has the people worship God. But that, you know, we presume it was their hope. And what the disciples had seen on Good Friday is, is still in their hearts. Even though they've heard about the empty tomb, about Jesus' resurrection, they, they still don't quite grasp the living Jesus, even though he's walking right beside them. You know, he's right there. He's asking them questions. And uh, for me, I I get a little critical of that. I, I can often be critical about things, whatever it might be. And I, I think it's easy to be critical. And the same thing applies here. It might be easy to be critical of the disciples. I mean, Jesus, he's right there. He's talking to them. He tells them about all, all of Scripture is really about him. I mean, how blind do you have to be? Right? He's right there. Well, when I do that, I think sometimes I'm a little quick to judge. And, and it's kind of harsh to look at the disciples. I mean, think of all they've gone through and even just thinking about the fear and the trepidation they might have over what it means for them to Jesus to have died, this person they had followed. And now the people who are in authority, the people who are in power have taken away his life. And I think sometimes we also have our own troubles and misconceptions about what a Messiah should be and do. And in our society today, we, we could hear um, about a lot of Christians entertaining a Jesus who wants and who grants us this political dominion, right? The, the kingdom right here, right now. And if we do certain things, if we follow a certain order, and um, then, then Jesus will come back. Like we can make that happen, Right. There are other things that shows us how we can succeed in, in love and maybe even work or how God wants to, uh, quote unquote, bless us with wealth. Well, that turns Jesus, God, and the Spirit into what we want and what we think we need and, and trying to fulfill our own indulgences, right? That we're the ones that are in control. We're the ones that have the power. We're the ones that can make things happen rather than do what Jesus tells us to do, which is to be concerned about the well-being of our neighbor. It makes the love of God into a conditional thing, right? If we tithe, then God will bless us. If we, right, then God. I mean, if our, if our love and our devotion and our um, salvation is dependent on what we do, then we don't have grace, as Martin Luther put it. 
So we're looking for unconditional love that you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to make, draw my attention to you in a, uh, um, a stronger way. I think that we want to do this because of our need for comfort. Most of the time we will do whatever we can to avoid any uncomfortable feeling, be it anxiety, guilt, or shame, or fear of basically anything, whether failure, projects, or homework. Sometimes it just feels that things are out of control and, you know, that's uncomfortable. And so we'll do whatever we can to avoid that discomfort, whether whether we're aware of it or not, because we're creatures of habit. Sometimes habit means we're just doing things without thought. Okay? So that leads me to the disciples, back to the road to Emmaus. And their lost hopes makes for a sense of grief and loss of Jesus, and, and it's devastated them. So much so that even on Easter Day, even after all, they've, they've heard from people they know and trust. They're walking away from the resurrection in Jerusalem. They had hoped that he would be the one. That's a tough statement. I think. And, you know, imagine the feeling of all that you and your people had envisioned, prepared for, heard about for generations being pinned on one person. And that that person is gone. Even that person is holy. It's disappointing. Be a tremendous amount moment of grief. So much so that they would be numb and blind to all that was around them. That's what happens. When we grieve, when we have these moments of loss. Case in point, Jesus is right there beside them. And so when people don't live up to our hopes and expectations, we we get that feeling of, of disappointment, this numbness. And I think the tough truth of, of this story is that everyone disappoints, even Jesus, Son of God. Parents disappoint children, and children disappoint parents, and, you know, spouses disappoint, and vice versa. Pastors disappoint their congregations, and vice versa. And I think what the big question is, is what do we do with that sense of disappointment? What is our next step? And so I think I, we can take a clue from the prompts of Jesus to his disciples. And so that's where we're going to head in our sermon for this Sunday. Again, third Sunday of Easter, Luke 24, the way or road to Emmaus. So you're going to have to wait till Sunday. Upon my